All right, for our time in the scriptures this morning, we're going to be turning to the Gospel of Matthew. So I invite you to turn there. Uh, trust you have a Bible with you at home. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. And our Bible text is, uh, we'll be going from verses uh, 25 through 34. Uh, as you turn there, I just want to mention one other thing. I, I neglected to say this in the announcement time. Um, next Sunday is, is Resurrection Sunday. Um, one of the things that, that is so joyful about the church year is, is gathering together on Resurrection Sunday. And of course, uh, we'll be dealing with that in our, in our um, uh, time in the Bible next Sunday on the live stream. But I want to I put something out there for the church family. When these uh, restrictions are lifted, when we get to gather in this room again, I want that first Sunday back to be Resurrection Sunday. Now, I've said it before, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. We meet on the first day of the week because Jesus is raised from the grave. But I want to do it up like Resurrection Sunday. We're planning some baptisms, and uh, I've talked to a couple of you about that. And, uh, and I trust that whenever that day is, and hopefully we'll get a little heads up, and if you're healthy, and, and if we don't have any restrictions on the size of gathering, I would love to just celebrate that day that Jesus Christ is raised, and, and, and put our focus there, there again. So uh, that's what at least I'm planning in terms of preaching, and, and I, I trust that, uh, boy, that'll just be a great day of celebration, won't it? Won't that be? I'm so looking forward to that. Well, uh, back, to, back to the Gospel of Matthew for this morning. Uh, chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, that's what I would be dealing with this morning. So I invite you to um, listen as I read, follow along in your own Bibles at home. Hear God's word. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I need to pray. Um, so I invite you to join me as I ask for the Lord's help. Father, um, your word is the lamp to our feet. It's this light to our paths. We know it is daily bread. We know that we do not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. And you call for this word to be proclaimed. And even in this strange way of proclaiming it this morning, through 
through the internet and via screens. Lord, your word is still living and active. And I pray that you will do that work in our hearts that can only happen when your spirit takes this truth and plants it within us. That's what I want, Father. And, it's, and I want this because I believe that's what you want. So please make that happen. Accomplish your work in us. And help us in our minds and in our hearts to put the focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, to whom belongs all glory. And it's in his name we pray it. Amen. Well, I was uh, sitting in my family room the other day looking outside. I, I spent some time watching squirrels and birds, and I guess I seem to have a little more time to do that these days. Uh, I, I watched these squirrels chasing each other. They were jumping from tree to tree. Uh, they were having a lot of fun. And then I watched some cardinals and, and blue jays, and, and I really delighted at their vivid colors. And I thought, I thought, how how carefree they are, how, how they know nothing at all of what's going on in the world. They don't even know the word pandemic. They don't even care about that. They're doing what God made them to do. God delighted to make them, and, and they're simply doing what they do. They don't worry about tomorrow. And as I thought about that, and it was reinforced to me time and time again. It occurred to me that this is the very thing that Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 6. If I'm worrying, if I'm filled with anxiety, my mind is not in the right place. My, my priorities are wrong. Now I have to confess here. I have been tempted to worry. I have been worrying. And I confess this to the Lord every day. I'm, I'm just a guy who likes control. And, and the Lord is teaching me something in this, to be sure. But I have worried about our staff, and I shared that earlier. Having to lay people off troubles me. I've worried about our church paying our bills, the mortgage. I've worried about the possibility of somebody from our church family, people that we love getting infected. I've worried about that. So today, in, in choosing this text, I, I'm preaching to myself. I'm preaching to myself, and, and I'm inviting you to listen in to the way in which God is is challenging me and teaching me. I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit will use this to speak to your heart as well. So here's some, some truths, some basic truths from, from this passage of Scripture that I want to put the focus on this morning. And I think these fairly obviously fall out of the text, but here are four things that I want to put our focus on this morning. The first is this, life is more than survival. Life is more than survival. Second, God is our provider. Third, we as the people of God, we are of great value to God. And four, we have an exalted purpose. Let me state them again. Life is more than mere survival. God is our provider. We are of great value to God. And we have an exalted purpose, an exalted purpose. So don't worry. That's the message that Jesus uh, is saying to us this morning. Don't worry. And first, don't worry. Life is more than mere survival. Now, I, I know this is, this is doing this in me. I know this is doing this in the world. This pandemic is, is truly reordering our sense of need, right? We live in this, this prosperous nation, of course, until recently. 
We, we have often, as a society, we've often used the word need in ways that maybe a previous generation would never have thought of. They would have thought it as absurd. Think of, for example, of people in the, the Depression era. So here's an example of something that would sound absurd to people in different time. That couch is getting kind of worn. I think we need to replace it. Or, this may be timely for you right now, my internet is kind of slow. I think I need a, a better service so that Netflix or Hulu or Right Now Media doesn't bog down. The reality is we don't worry much about clothing. But if this pandemic continues and the economy collapses, we, we might be wondering if we can put a roof over our heads. That might be true. But whatever we think we need, whatever we think we need, fill in the blank, whatever that thing is, Jesus says, verse 25, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. So, so in Jesus speaking of clothing and food, these are really representative of the things that we think we need to live. So you could legitimately say, I need a, I need a car to get to the job. Or, or if you're a mechanic, I, I need the tools to properly do my job. Or, or maybe your genuine need is the training and certification needed to continue to do your job. The point of this, of course, is that as we do our jobs, we, we receive income so that we can provide for ourselves and our families. These are our needs. But think about this. Jesus is saying, whatever you think your need is, do not be anxious about those things, about your life. Do not be anxious about your needs. Because he says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Is not life more than the sum of our needs? Well, what is life? Of course, according to Jesus, it's more than getting the things that you need. There is a greater purpose. And I think what Jesus is doing in this passage is, is he's, he's, his point here is that when you put your focus on only meeting your needs, you miss the point of life. And you can only truly live when you understand where life comes from. Some years ago, there was a psychologist named uh, Abraham Maslow. Some of you are familiar with his work. If you took Psych 101, you, you encountered this stuff. Uh, he came up with this hierarchy of needs to describe how humans operate, how they, how they function in, in life. So he said, we first need to satisfy those physiological needs, and that's the food, shelter, clothing. Before, uh, you need to satisfy those things before you seek to satisfy other higher-order needs like safety or belonging, which in, in, includes love and esteem. And the, the, the top of his hierarchy put this thing called self-actualization. Now, I know I risk mi misrepresenting his theory, but, but I think he failed to understand something so fundamental about the human person, something that, that Blaise Pascal wrote about in the late 17th century. And perhaps you've heard this, but, but bear with me. This is a quote from Pascal. What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in a man a true happiness? So he's speaking of uh, that true happiness before the fall of man, before Adam sinned. There was a once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in these that are, though none can help. Since this infinite abyss can be filled 
only with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, God himself. Now, there's a lot of words. Pascal's point is that by design, our creator, by design, our creator has done this in us. Our greatest need since the fall, even before the fall, our greatest need, he calls, Pascal calls this infinite abyss. It cannot be filled except by what only God can give Abraham Maslow thought that life was about self-fulfillment, self-actualization. It's actually about God-fulfillment. It's that God-shaped hole in us. John, in John's Gospel, Jesus is introduced this way. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Later in the Gospel of John, Jesus says this about himself. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So yes, yes, we need food, we need safety, we need friendship. But that God-shaped hole, that infinite abyss in each of us, cannot be satisfied by these things. It can only be satisfied in Jesus. And so when Jesus asked that rhetorical question, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? The answer is yes. Yes. The answer is Jesus. Don't be anxious about your needs. Life is not about fulfilling those needs. Life is about finding your satisfaction in Jesus. So don't worry. Second, don't worry. You are of great value to God. Now, there are some people, and I've encountered this, uh, I think this idea is increasing in popularity now. There are people who think, uh, their, their view is about the cosmos, about, about everything, is that within the cosmos, humans are really equal partners in the world with every other creature. So the thinking goes this way. The human has no more claim over earth and its resources than a beluga whale or a baby seal or a polar bear or a common field mouse. Now, I'm certain that the mouse and the bear are unaware of this kind of thinking, but some humans see them and every other animal as equal persons. Equal persons. Now, Jesus certainly affirmed that the Father cares for other creatures, but he does not hold them in the same regard as humans. Jesus said in verse 25, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Of course you are. Now, some people don't agree with that statement. But the Bible says that we are. When God created everything, when he created man, when he created man uniquely, the man and the woman, he put them in the garden, he gave them a distinction that he gave to no other creature in all creation. It says in Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them, the image of God. That's unique to the man. That isn't given to any other creature in all creation. 
So since we, unlike other creatures, reflect the image of God, he has a particular interest in our well-being. A particular interest. And so Jesus, using the example of birds, he's arguing from, from the lesser to the greater. Well, of course, the Father takes care of the birds. They gather what they need each day. They don't have storage barns. They don't have bank accounts. They don't, they don't even understand how they're cared for. Yet, in their limited understanding, in their simply following their own instincts that have been created into them, the Father provides for them. How much more would he provide for his own image bearers? God designed it that way. He made us to depend on him. Now, it must be said that as God's image bearers, we are also uniquely responsible for subjecting this creation to a curse, to the curse. We are, in effect, the reason for our own anxiety. We caused it. Now, that might not make sense to you, uh, but the first, man, Adam, the first man, that's Adam, he was acting really as our, as our federal head. That's a, a kind of a theological distinction, but just go with me on this. He was acting as our head. He was given dominion over the land. The land was designed by God to easily yield everything that, that the man needed. But what happened? Adam sinned. He sinned against God. And here, here's what happens. And the Lord uh, tells him, Genesis 3, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, that's what happened, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. The ground is cursed. That land that was meant to be paradise was turned, turned not just against Adam. Well, he was banished from the paradise, but the land itself was not just turned against Adam, but was turned against all humanity. So now the dog bites now the bee stings, and the little microbes fight against us and spread. And that curse, whatever that's represented in, in the, the, those things, that curse extends beyond, way beyond the physical. The curse on creation is really a shadow, just a shadow of a deeper, darker, eternal curse that takes us, not just uh, takes us out of our ideal land, but ultimately away from the presence of God forever. Listen, God did not leave us there. He saw the mess that we made. John 3, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He so loved the world that he turned the eternal curse that belonged to us and he put it on his own son. So yeah, we messed it up. But God fixed it for us. And that's what God does for the ones that he has created in his own image. God fixed it by turning the consequence for our own disobedience against God and putting it on Jesus. Life, the substance of life is, is loving God, loving him heart, soul, and mind. The substance of life is loving others as we love ourselves in the same way, and not bearing false witness, not stealing, not committing adultery, not coveting. That's what life is meant to be. And that law that God gave us to, to show what life looks like, 
that that very law condemned us because we failed to keep it. That's the big picture. And so what did God do? What did Jesus do? Galatians 3, the Apostle Paul tells us, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And not only did Jesus become this curse for us, he he gave us something of infinite worth. He gave us in exchange for taking our sin upon him, in exchange, he gave us back his own perfect goodness. This, this white robe of righteousness that we wear. 2 Corinthians 5.21, one of my favorite verses. For our sake. For our sake. He, that is God the Father, made him, that is the Son, Jesus, to be sin. Who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. You are so valuable to God. See, God didn't send His Son into the world for the birds of the air. He didn't do that for the bears and the bees and the dogs. He did that for those who were made in His own image. So don't worry. You are of great value to God. Third, don't worry. God is your provider. For, for many, for many of us right now, this, this is very strange. Very strange. Our work has been interrupted. Now, some of you still get to work. You get to work remotely. But a lot of people, the work is different. It doesn't feel the same. And, and sometimes, it, certainly a lot of times, it doesn't feel as productive as you thought it might be. Except for people who are used to this remote thing. There's a lot of people who simply can't work. The thing that we, we know we're supposed to do, many are told we simply can't do it or we can't do it in the way we thought we were supposed to do it. We work to earn money to buy the things that we need to provide for the needs of our families. And this is a good thing. This is how the Bible affirms what we should be doing, right? We should be working. It's right and good to work. The Apostle Paul exhorted the lazy uh, in, in 2 Thessalonians. He said this, We would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So we do work to provide for ourselves. Yet the point that Jesus is making in our passage this morning is not that we should not work, but that we see that the work that we do is under the sovereign rule of God. Why do we work? We work because we've been created with certain skills and motivations. We work because God gives us the opportunity. We work because there is a demand for what we do. God created that demand in the other person longing for something that we have. And the length of our days, we do this work, but the length of our days has already been determined by God. And so we work and we toil And we work against the ground that doesn't easily yield the fruit, but we work, and God gives us that privilege. And we work knowing that there is a God over all. So, if you're filled, like me, the temptation to be filled with anxiety, if I worry, it's because I'm forgetting that God is in control. It's it's, I'm forgetting that He is my provider. 
Jesus says in verse 27, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? <laughs> Let me just worry a little bit and I'll live, you know, a few minutes longer. And we get the absurdity of that, right? Let, let me just put some mental energy into thinking about this and worrying about tomorrow and being anxious and, and I will live longer. No. Psalm 139 says, In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God has determined the length of our days. It's already written down. And Jesus says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things. What does Jesus mean by the Gentiles? He's speaking of the people who disregard God, people who do not submit to him. So, so people who disregard God, people who do not submit to him, they chase after all these things. The heavenly father, your father, who you know, he knows that you need them all. So here are some Bible truths. God is our provider. Here are some Bible truths that reinforce God's gracious provision. Listen to Philippians 4.19. I think Bobby quoted this on, on our, our video last night. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God will supply every need of yours. Just dwell on that. I need to dwell on that. What is it I think I need? God's my provider. And because I know him, he will supply every need. And God has a limitless storehouse of provision according to his riches and glory. Can you count that? Do you know what the extent of his riches and glory are? It's unfathomable. And these are available to us, as it says in the verse, in Christ Jesus. So if by faith you have trusted in Christ, if you've put your own faith in it, if you've seen your, the depravity of your own life and you've repented of your sin and you look to Jesus and his death on the cross for you, you're a child of God. And God will supply every need of yours. What else does he say? 2 Corinthians 9.8. The Apostle Paul is talking about, uh, I, I call it God's economy there, how he provides. But, but listen to this. Just 2 Corinthians 9.8 says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And this reminds us what, what the point of God's provision is abounding in every good work. Has God given to you? Abound in every good work. Has God been generous to you? Yes, he has. Abound in every good work. Abound, overflow, pour out generosity, giving, service. Pour out goodness that comes from God. And another verse, Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, there's the biggest gift. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How 
will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And what the Apostle Paul is pointing to is an ultimate provision, right? Because a few verses later in Romans chapter 8, Paul speaks of tribulation and distress and famine and persecution and nakedness and danger or sword. And he says, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. God is our provider. And he provides for us with a spiritual provision that will transcend any human need that we have. All of these good things are available in Christ Jesus, even if, even if the pandemic wipes out half this country. There's a spiritual provision for all who belong to Christ that we have been given all things because Jesus has been given to us at the cross. So don't worry, brothers and sisters, don't worry. God will provide everything that you truly, truly need. Well, finally, don't worry. We have an exalted purpose. We have an exalted purpose. Crises have a, a way of reorienting our priorities as a society, don't they? Um, we, we know this from the news, if you've been watching the news. Uh, automakers whose energies uh, were making cars and trucks and finding ways to, for people to buy them, telling you you really need this new truck, now they've turned some of that production capability into producing medical ventilators. And maybe a month ago or two, some people would have been planning summer vacations, maybe even a cruise. How absurd does that seem right now, right? Now some of those people are wondering if their savings accounts will be enough to endure loss of income. What has happened in the world that the crisis has shifted the focus from self-indulgence to survival. But for the people of God, a crisis is a way of reminding us that our purpose in the world is neither self-indulgence nor is it merely about survival. In fact, our purpose is not ultimately about us. And, and what worry and anxiety do, this is where I'm tempted, what worry and anxiety do is it, it, it keeps the focus on self. And what does that accomplish? Absolutely nothing. But what is it that does fill the void? What does give us a sense of purposefulness in making our way through this world. What is that thing? It's making our highest priority. It is making our greatest pursuit what Jesus said. But, don't worry. Don't worry about what you wear. Don't worry about your needs. Be reminded that God provides. You're more valuable than birds. What do you do? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. See, Jesus made that commitment, that promise. Don't worry about that stuff. Here's where your focus needs to be. The kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, Jesus is not saying that food and shelter don't matter. Of course they do. But, but you know, we don't get them by pursuing them first. Maybe you've heard this illustrated. It's like happiness. You ever try to make yourself feel happy? When you try to do that, it, it actually makes you feel empty. 
But you find true happiness. You find true joy when you look beyond yourself to others. And brothers and sisters in Christ, eternal joy is the reward of looking outside of ourselves to Jesus. And so when he says, seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus is saying, look to me. Now, what does that mean to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? So what's the kingdom of God? What are we talking about here? Well, simply the kingdom of God is the realm where God's son, Jesus, rules. Wherever he rules, that's the kingdom of God. Jesus came into the world to call people to himself. He came into the world to call a people from every language, from every tribe, every nation, from every time. Jesus lived, Jesus died, he rose again, he took the curse, he gives righteousness. And so now everyone who turns to him in repentance and faith, they become part of his kingdom. And there's coming a day when, when Jesus will return to the earth. And on that day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. The entirety of creation will know there is the king. And whether they submitted to him in life or not, they will say, he's in charge. They will know. And we, the people of God, will, will bow in utter joy and delight, infinite. And those who have rejected him will bow in horror but bow they will. And on that day, the kingdom of the world shall become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And we look forward to that day. Revelation eleven fifteen. So the righteousness, that's the kingdom of God. And, and the Lord Jesus is gathering to himself a people. And while we, the people of God, live in this world, we anticipate his appearing, his return, when everybody will recognize that's the king. And where we, the people of God, along with the Lord Jesus Christ, will enjoy the glory that goes to him and that will spill over onto us as his people. The Apostle Paul talks about that glory, that glory that will be revealed. And so all of the suffering that we might go through in this world, it's not worth being compared to the glory that will be revealed on that day for the sons of God. That's the kingdom of God. So we're to pursue that. But Jesus also said, pursue the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the righteousness of God is simply the truth, this fact, the reality that apart from faith in Jesus, Jesus, as the kingdom's king, there is no way to be counted righteous in God's sight. See, what God does in the cross of Christ is reveal his own righteousness. God demands righteousness. And he reveals it to the world through his son, showing a perfectly righteous man, taking on the imperfections of humanity, and then giving righteousness, his own righteousness, to those who have trusted him. God's justice must be satisfied, and it was fully satisfied at the cross. He showed himself to be righteous by crucifying his son. And the glorious gift of that is that that righteousness spills over onto those who have trusted him by faith. It's a beautiful picture of God's goodness, because in it, we see the justice of God fully satisfied, while the mercy of God is just liberally poured out. 
on all who would trust in him. So this is what's summed up by the Apostle Paul in Romans 1. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. That means everyone. For in it, this message of Jesus, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You want to live? Believe in Jesus. So, people of God, how can we pursue God's kingdom and righteousness? Well, it begins by trusting in the kingdom's king. And I've said that already, but it, but it needs to be repeated. You have to turn away from the kingdom of darkness and turn to the kingdom of light. Stated another way, you turn away from sin. You repent and you turn to Jesus in faith, trusting that what he did on the cross, that act of self-sacrifice is the means by which your sin is forgiven and also the means by which you are given the power to continue to live in ever-increasing growth and victory over that sin. So what is it like to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness? Well, three things, and, and I'll wrap it up in a second here, in a few minutes, I should say. To seek the kingdom of God is, is to submit to Jesus as king. It's to exalt Jesus in worship, and it's to pursue Jesus' mission. These three things, submit to him as king, exalt Jesus in worship, and pursue Jesus' mission. So let me just give some, some description of each of these. To submit to Jesus as king, that's obedience. We're talking about this pandemic, but we're all infected with a virus, a disease much more serious and more deadly than COVID-19, and that disease is the sin nature. It's, it's more serious because it not only kills the body, but it will cast your soul into hell. And there's the good news here is, is that Jesus is the cure. He went to the cross for you. He is the one to whom you must submit. But let me urge you, trust him today if you have not. Submitting to King Jesus means first acknowledging that he died in your place. And he cures you of the consequence of that disease called sin. And so if you do believe, if you have believed, brothers and sisters in Christ, take up your cross and follow. That means denying yourself. Pursue holiness. Listen to his voice. Listen to the Bible, what it says. Set your mind on things above, as it says in Colossians 3, not on things below, because you died. You have died to yourself. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So submit to Jesus as king. Second, exalt Jesus as king. Worship him. Now, we can't do this together right now, but as, but as soon as we can, we're going to come together. And I want to encourage you, Christian, not only Overland Hills Church family, but if you're tuning in from somewhere else, let me say this. Get to a church. Do not be satisfied with sitting on the other side of the screen. Be with God's people and add your voice to raising it up in whatever room or space, wherever you are in the world, raising up that voice, declaring Jesus, proclaiming his grace and mercy, proclaiming his dominion over all things, proclaiming him as Lord of lords. 
But even while we wait to meet together, even though we can't do that, find ways to worship him. Look for any and every opportunity to tell of his goodness. Wherever you are, whoever you speak with on the phone. So submit to Jesus as king, exalt Jesus as king. That's worship. And pursue Jesus' mission, and that's service. Seek to make him known. Join the church. This mission of making disciples is one that was given to the church. When Jesus, before he was ascended to heaven, he he spoke to his disciples and he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. It's like a way of saying, look, listen up, guys. This is really important. Therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey, observe all that I've commanded you. And then he gave this promise. I'll be with you even to the end of the age. As a church, that's our collective mission. So join in that. Seeking God's kingdom is joining in the church's mission of making disciples. And as a disciple of Jesus, find ways to build up others in Christ. And while we're separated, call, text, Zoom, and get ready for the day when we can gather together. Get ready for the day when when we can be out there in the world Look for ways to let your light shine before men so that that light, that good work, brings glory to your Father in heaven and points to Christ. And be prepared. Be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. Can you you articulate the gospel? Use this time of, of isolation to study your Bibles and know what it says about why you're saved and be ready to share that with anyone who should ask. So, Don't worry. Our lives are more than mere survival. Our lives are more than just getting the stuff we need. The point of life is looking to God and seeing Him. And because of that, we understand that God is our provider. Everything that we need has been given by Him. And all of the eternal blessings that we need, more than than food and shelter and clothing, all of those are available in Christ Jesus. We're of great value to God. Jesus didn't die for birds. He died for you. Put your faith in Him. Trust in Christ today. And I think the greatest remedy to worry is taking our eyes off the temporal things and being reminded what our mission is. We have a collective responsibility to make Christ known, to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. And if anything helps us look beyond the present, it's the exalted purpose that Jesus has given to us as his own disciples. Don't worry. Focus on our greatest pursuit. Let's pray. Father, Um, coming into this text, I was racked with worry, but it's given me comfort, reminded me why I'm even on this planet. Lord, I pray that um, you would remind us of these truths. Help us to look up, look beyond Whatever we may have to face in the days ahead in terms of human suffering, Lord, none of that 
None of that is worth being compared compared to the glory that will be revealed when Christ Jesus appears. So keep us faithful to that day. Keep us on mission. And Lord, teach us to trust in you. And we pray that Christ in all of this would be glorified. We pray in his name. Amen.